Hello and welcome to this episode of Off the Shelf, which I am calling Phoebe Squared. My guest this week is Phoebe Wynne, who studied classics at Royal Holloway, University of London and Education at King's College, also in London. She then worked in education for eight years, teaching classics in the south of England. She later went on to teach English language and literature in Paris, France. So basically, she has the ideal life. She then left the classroom to focus on her writing and went on to hone her craft in writing classes in L.A. and London. Phoebe has a dual British-French nationality and spends her time between England and France, where she's currently speaking to me from. Madam is her debut novel, and I'm sure everyone's seen it over Instagram. Welcome to the show, Phoebe. Thank you so much, Phoebe. It's so great to meet another Phoebe. There's not many of us. I I don't know how you find this. So um, I was born in 1992, i.e. two years before Friends came out. So I only ever encounter Phoebes that are younger than me. I ne- I've never met a Phoebe that's older than me. Oh, so I'm, I'm 35, so I'm older than you. Ah. Um, and I have only ever encountered Phoebes who are girls I've taught. <laughs> Or yeah, dogs, I, actually. A lot of Phoebe dogs. I don't know about you. Oh, no, I've got a great story about this. So when I was at sixth form, I was in class with a girl. Her name is Bethan. Shout out to you, Bethan, if you're listening. And she had a dog called Phoebe. Obviously, this dog was quite old by the time I knew her, so nothing to do with my name. Yeah. But the dog was really fat. So the family called the dog Fat B. <laughs> so out of habit, she'd just call me Fat B. <laughs> but bless her, every time she did it, she looked absolutely mortified. Like, I think it was just it was a reflex it wasn't like a deliberate thing that's really funny I yeah. do feel like I don't know how you feel like it has felt a little bit like tiny weenie like curse like having this name the amount of times I have to spell it or like if I order takeaway I use the name Lucy or something because no one they go Phoebe and they're like beefy wee wee and I'm like ph no I mean never mind yeah, you no that on the on the phone, yeah. the amount of times I say Phoebe and I turn up yeah. and it's Evie and I'm like, you tried, exactly. you did try. But yeah, I will. I don't even do that anymore. I'm like, how old? I was born in 85. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. So I, but I mean, I've just given up now. So I've got a different, I've got a different name. That's and, so um, interesting. And it's funny because the Phoebe thing, it's, I, it's, it's just, ugh, I can't, I, I, in France, I mean, as you say, I, I taught in Paris, right? So I was there for two years and all the admin staff were like, sorry, how do we, cause you'll never, you'll hate this, but the way the French pronounce it is verb. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think like, if you've tried, I'm pretty much answer to anything. Like if you've tried, then I'll, I'll answer. Like, I appreciate that you made oh, really? an effort. Cause I you've think- got a really it, attitude to it. Well, yeah, I, it's just, it's such a minor thing to me. I don't know, maybe I'd, maybe I'd care more, but- My family spell it I think maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the growing up French stuff. It's like because they spell it F I B I. Um, I, it's just plagued me a lot of my life. I, this name. I've this name. I have had F I B I before, but that was when I said it and they wrote it down. So I'm like phonetically, you're not wrong. Okay, and you're much more forgiving than I am. I think I might try and learn from you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's just. I don't know. I, I just appreciate people trying. Oh, this is what I had lately. I um. Someone said to me, uh, like, so how do, I, how do I explain this? So I went on, a, went on a date with someone and their friend said to them, was it good or is it Seebs for Phoebes? And I was like, that's just mean. What does that mean? I think they mean Seebs as in CBA. And I was like, I see what they were doing there, but no. Oh, so maybe I do have my limits, but 
Anyway, we've massively sidetracked on the topic of Phoebe Sorry. squared. So no, it's great to have another Phoebe to talk about it with. Yeah, it's great. Um, so as I said in the introduction, Madame is your debut novel, and I'm sure everyone has seen its very familiar red cover uh, all over Instagram. And that was published in 2021. So did you manage to have a book launch party? Not at all. It came out in May, um, so not quite a year and uh, a year ago. And um, it was it's it was really interesting to come out during a pandemic. Really tricky, but everyone. I'm so impressed by the way that you know my publishers and all the bookshops managed to um, how they dealt with that was really really admirable. But um, on the actual day, my sister. It was so funny. One of my sisters. I said, "Whatever you do, don't." don't pick that day but she got married on that day and it was a, a lockdown wedding you know so there were nine of us there um so on the actual day of my book launch I didn't manage to get out to a bookshop <laughs> and see it it wasn't until the next day so it was like a wedding party slash book celebration party okay so technically you were celebrating but just something else yes that's it yeah yeah so long Long-term listeners will know that I'm fascinated by how people find motivation and when they find time to write. Uh, it sounds like from your history, you had a bit of time where you were working and then writing. How did you yeah. structure your time? How did you find the motivation after a long day to sit down and, and write? Um, yeah, so I, when I, in my 20s, when I was a teacher in my early 30s, I, um, I couldn't not write. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, but I, I, well, luckily, if you think about it, I, I took my weekends and my holiday time. As a teacher, you have a, you know, a big summer holiday, Easter holiday. And that's not, I mean, I did spend a lot of time obviously preparing my classes. I was always working. I think I'm probably just a bit of a workaholic anyway. Um, I was always sort of planning the next stuff uh, for the next term. But in between that time, I really, my holidays are really sacred to me for, for writing. Um, but I wrote um, two really dreadful happy to admit that two really dreadful novels in my 20s and uh, I realized that you know writing is a craft that you had to stop and and hone and and improve as much as like if you pick up a violin you can't suddenly play the violin so you have to learn how that you have to learn your craft so I really enjoyed um taking the time what I did was I I did um my time in teaching and then I thought I saved some money and I thought I'd give myself a year move in with my family and do some writing classes just for a year and see how see if writing was worth it and then I'd go back to teaching um and that's what I did and it worked out and during that year I wrote Madam so um Madam is my technically my third novel the only one that's half decent so um, honestly you'd be surprised how many guests I have come on here that say this is technically my debut novel but actually I've got you know a stack yay high oh, of, wow. of novels I wrote which have never seen the light of day it's really good to hear. So to answer your question, it's like, I had to, I, for me personally, I had to actually stop everything I was doing because teaching was taking over so much of my brain. I had to stop to, and think of nothing else to actually get a proper novel done. Um, whereas for example, one of my sisters is a screen screenwriter, director, and she writes around her children. I don't know how she does it. So I'm just not that kind of person. I have to really concentrate. I have to really focus. I mean, it sounds um, like you guys come from quite a creative family anyway. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But I've, I'm more like, a, um, they always tease me, I'm a bit like a tennis player, you know, a tennis player wakes up, thinks tennis, plays tennis, thinks tennis. <laughs> um, I'm not like one of those multitasker brilliant women. I'm just not. 
No, that's really interesting. Okay, and now did you go back to teaching or do you write full time no, now? So I, I'm really lucky. I, I I got an agent really quickly and um I got a, a, a book deal really quickly and with the advance I managed to um keep writing because it was a two book deal so they wanted the second one to come through um in the US and the UK combined so I've been um with that for a bit so that's working out really well so far oh that's oh well congratulations you've uh, given up the day job so what does your writing schedule look like now do you kind of work on the same project constantly or do you spend the morning on one project the afternoon on another project yeah, I'm really, I feel so lucky. Although I have to say, Phoebe, I do miss the classroom um, sometimes. It's particularly like sixth form, you know, sixth form lessons where you can get really great discussions in. So I'm, I was a classics teacher. So, you know, we could really argue about the Iliad or whatever. But um, I, so my schedule is really obsessive. I mean, I, I, I don't advise this on anyone. Like, <laughs> I have writing phases, so I have to spend sort of, Right now, I'm writing book three. I've just uh, had a, a, a deal come through for three and four, which is really exciting in the UK and the US. So I am in a, in a writing phase at the moment. So I've made vision boards and everything and I sit and I don't talk to anyone and I sit and I write. And it doesn't matter what time of day it is, I forget, you know, sometimes I write into late at night, sometimes I write very early in the morning. And um, I obviously I puncture that with socializing otherwise I've become I don't know what I'd become some kind of gremlin (laughs) um but it does look like that it's a bit like um you know Matisse the artist who said that when he paints or when he does his art it's like entering a form of prayer and I know that sounds slightly pretentious but to me that really makes sense because it feels like a devotional thing to get where I need to go to listen to music as I say use my vision boards I need to really get in there that's so interesting. And, I know I'd never heard that quote by Matisse, but I can see how you need to kind of yeah. get really deep into concentration mode. Yes, and it's, it's so much so that if, say, I try and give myself days off, but if like I have a, an appointment like Friday at four o'clock, I won't even be able to write that day because I'll um, not be able to get into the space where I need to get out of it by four o'clock because I've done that before. I've been to parties and something or, and things like that when I've been writing that day and I'm just a horrible person (laughs) um just really sour bad mood or distracted or thinking about things or which sounds horrible I'm so I'm sorry about the way I'm describing this but um it it seems to be working so I don't know (laughs) no I think it's uh I think whatever works for you yeah the amount of like writers I've spoken to now everyone has such a different way of doing things and my final question on the writing is are you a planner? Do you sit down and do you have elaborate spreadsheets and post-it notes of knowing exactly where it's going to go? Or do you just write and see what happens? I am a massive planner. I think it, I think it comes from, I get teased by my, both my editors. Um, uh, I feel a bit like a machine. Um, I, I'm a massive planner. I think it comes from the teaching. The, I have to know, where I'm going and I have to know, I don't want to waste my time. I want to uh, be really efficient with it. And I know that's quite rare because when I was doing my writing classes, I had I was around, especially in LA, I was around a lot of people who start writing and then they see where it goes. To me, yeah. that's terrifying. Really? Like, well, I'm I'm real organizer, like manic kind of. So I I need to know 
I need to know where it's going. Also, Phoebe, I write, I write Gothic fiction. So I, I borrow, you know, there are tropes I have to use. There are patterns I follow, I enjoy following. And so I need to have a catastrophic ending. I need, there needs to be a building. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, it helps me, but I've always been like that. I remember when I was a teenager, I used to write really bad poetry and I realized that it was just too long and waffly. So I made myself write, um, keep to the sonnet structure because then I was limited to 14 lines and 10 syllables. Do you see what I mean? I think personally, as a creative person, I work better when I'm given um, limits. That is really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not much of a planner. I wish I was, but I'm not. I kind of sit down and I'm like, well, maybe this is why none of what I've ever written has been any good. Just see what happens. That's so interesting. Yeah, that. I suppose I didn't I didn't think about that in terms of the conventions of the genre kind of being your the rules on which you kind of yeah. hang your writing. I think it can be really helpful. I think it's things like, you know, um, when I was in Paris and I taught a bit of creative writing within English language, I, I used to talk to them about clocks, you know, like, when you're, when you're talking about your story, is it a day? Is it three days? Is it a year? Is it? And uh, I think when we frame things, it can be easier to work within, you know, colouring within the lines. Yeah. Oh, that is, uh, yeah. Oh, you've blown my tiny mind this morning. Um, that's but, great. There's a really great book, by the way, about structuring novels, if you're uh, interested. It's by K.M. Wayland. W E. I L A N D and it's called how to I think it's how to structure your novel and that it blew my mind when I was I mean, writing listeners can't see this but I'm honestly writing this down longhand so I can look it up later yeah um, Wayland, KM Wayland and it's um <clears throat> she or he I don't actually know I presumed it was a she I'm not sure why because uh, I'm a feminist but um <laughs> and she uses films books and she sort of explains structure which uh because it's funny I'll tell you Phoebe listen so that, you know, there's obviously like the three act structure and things like that, which I, you know, really devotedly follow. And um, if you look at even the Iliad, which is technically the first, so I'm going classic geek on you, it's technically the first novel, because it's a long poem. So it's a mm. story, so the first novel, if you can call it that, in Western civilization, um, written, you know, supposedly beyond a thousand BC. So um, even that follows a three act structure. <laughs> So even though I didn't know that there was a structure, there is a natural human uh, pattern that we, there is something that we like to follow. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Well, that, that's it. And I think there's something that we need. We need the climb, we need the fall, we need the uh, resolution, you know, things like that. So mm. it's a really, um, you know, I, I I really appreciate that. Also, having come from, I've been educated, you know, so thoroughly within the classics and and then I teach it myself like as you say no need to reinvent the world they wrote they wrote the best stories really simple amazing we still celebrate mythology today you know so yeah, yeah. that's so oh I keep I'm trying to stop saying that's so interesting because I feel like I've said it so many times but it really is I'm really enjoying that and that's great I'm really enjoying this conversation it's blowing my mind too <laughs> I never get to talk about this stuff so it's great <laughs> it, it, well, well number one it's because it's Phoebe squared and number two uh, yeah. the whole reason I have a podcast is my friends were sick of listening to me talk about books I'm like please stop Phoebe find other people to talk about them with how lovely what a great thing <laughs> exactly so you know it's hopefully seamless segue from that the first book you've chosen is your uh best non-fiction book Please tell us which book you've chosen and why. 
so nonfiction. Um, I'm naturally drawn to fiction, so this one was interesting. But I think it's uh, it's a it's a book called My Own Story by Emmeline Pankhurst, who is quite famously a champion of women's suffrage, and it's about her her way the way that she came into becoming a suffragette. Yes, and I have heard of her daughter, Christabel. Uh, yeah, that's, Christabel yeah. Pankhurst, who was very uh, famous lawyer. Uh, long-term listeners will know that's my day job. So I have heard of her daughter, and I'm sure most people have heard of Emmeline. Emmeline? Emmeline? Emmeline. 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 She's um, yeah. very, yeah. very, very famous. And I saw my brother went to university in Manchester, and there's a lovely statue of her. Uh, listeners from the north, if you wish to go and see the statue in Manchester. Yeah, because I think they set up the WSPU and did they set that up in Manchester? Yes, I, I I believe she, there is definitely some connection no. to Manchester. I actually think she was from Manchester. And I mean, I've I've read all kinds of, um, his, I suppose it'd be history books about the suffragettes, but I've never read this, uh, this story in her own words. And I believe they turned it into a film many years ago. Oh, did they? Oh, I didn't know that. There's a, well, there's a, a film called Suffragette, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, that yeah, that's the film there. I'm thinking of. Maybe it's not based on oh, right. a book. Yeah, and actually Meryl Streep played uh, Emmeline Pankhurst. <laughs> um, Honestly, amazing. wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if you lived a life where when you died, you'd be worthy of Meryl Streep playing you? <laughs> that's such a good point. That's such a great way of looking that'd at it. Honestly, that would be, I could die happy if that happened. Um, that would be pretty good. She was married to a, a lawyer, wasn't she? How wonderful to be a lawyer. Well, you say that. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes, sometimes it's interesting. Um, it's a uh, again another thing you'd be surprised about. And I've kind of seen patterns. The more guests I have, a lot of frustrated writers were channeled into law because a lot of kind of legal skills are uh, are you know can you write clearly and concisely, and you have to read a lot of legal documents. So there's a lot there's a lot of a uh, crossover, as it were. Interesting. Yeah. So on that note, the next book you've chosen is the book that changed your life. Which book have you chosen and why has it changed your life? Oh, can I talk a little bit more about Emily Pankhurst? Or... Oh, yes, of course you can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I just the reason I chose it was because um, I'm a huge fan of the suffragettes and I, I really love reading feminist theory. And as I say, because, you know, the classics, I like to read it from the beginning. And I think I'm... Um, so this one was it really opened my eyes because it talks about her, you know, she she spends time with single mothers, widows in London. She talks about property. She talks about how unfair it is. She paints a really clear picture of how things are, the way she sees it and why women need the vote. And I think it's amazing that it came from nothing. Like we're all, I think we're in the fourth wave, are we, of feminism with the Me Too movement. And it's, we, there's, as, as in number four like it's come before but the fact that she sort of created something from nothing I find that really amazing and I think also what, when I read is a birth of something there and I and when I read it I think I was so impressed by <clears throat> how do I phrase this so now when we do things I think we're quite I don't want to be down on our selves in today but I think we're slightly impatient it might be the social media age like things happening quickly if it doesn't happen we get frustrated um but the resilience of the suffragettes like over 10 years or more waiting uh and persisting and uh 
the French word is manifesté, what's the uh, protesting, uh, and the patience that they have. Like I think there was one also where I think it's Christabel and a friend. They are they wait in a hall. They sleep in the rafters or something, so to make sure that they're there the next day for a men's meeting. The sort of the sort of the extraordinary things that they do. You think, my God, I'm not sure anyone would do that now. Um, and the persistence to get women the vote. I just thought that was so admirable. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I, couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talking about feminism. I have never really studied feminism. Obviously, I'm aware of it and I've read books about it, but I do hear people talking about waves of feminism and I think it is potentially a gap in my knowledge that I need to go back and, and plug. I think you don't, it's not anything I suppose you need to do. I think if it's interests you, I think... Uh, for me, it was, uh, as, I, as I say, I'm older than you, so, uh, and it, I talk about it in Madam as well, the, the second wave was in the 70s, um, you know, with all the burning the bras and everything in 60s, 70s and all that stuff that was, that was a really powerful wave. Um, and then the third was supposedly sort of the end of the 90s with the Spice Girls and things like that. And um, uh, I just think it's fascinating the way we move. It's something that really, really interests me um, just, from, just from the way I grew up and things and also classical women. But um, I like to know like where we've come from and and cut, cover all of that, <clears throat> if that makes sense. Yeah, I I completely see that. There's that old saying, isn't there? How can you know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from? Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's how really interesting. True. Uh, are you ready to move on to the book that changed your life? But oh, yes, it does sound I am. like Sorry, this no, book yeah. this book also changed your life a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Everything always does, though, doesn't it? When you're when you've got your open mind open, everything blows your mind. <laughs> Yeah, so please tell us about the book that changed your life. Yeah, so this was, um, this is super intense, this one. So Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. I'm, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, it's a Nigerian, uh, he's a Nigerian writer. I think it's probably the most popular, successful, really extraordinary Nigerian novel to exist in English. And I think um, it's about, it follows uh, a sort of Ibo tribesman called o Okonkwo. I don't want to say his name wrong. Um, and and it's I think it's the 1890s and he's navigating a change in Nigeria and it's about colonialism right so it's about British missionaries going in and changing the way that they live and when I was in Paris I had to teach um, about um, post-colonial literature there was like a module and I uh, one of them was this book and it was also um, another wonderful book The God of Small Things by um, Oh my goodness, I've forgotten the author's name. I'll remember it in a second. And um, just set in India. And it was, and to, I have to say, Phoebe, like as a teacher, I like to really know about what I'm teaching. So, you know, that summer or whatever it was, I went back and I did my research. I didn't really know what colonialism was. I sort of knew that the British had invaded some places. So had France and America, obviously, obviously with slavery in West Africa. But my goodness, it was horrifying to read all this stuff about what the British had done in the past. And um, I actually started the course with the class, it was a sixth form class. And I was like, I have to present myself to you. I was like, I'm sort of full of shame teaching this to you because of, um, does this make sense, Phoebe? Like, No, you, are, you are entirely making sense. And I'm actually thinking back to my own um, yeah. school experience and we had to learn, um, Heart of Darkness. Oh, and I, want to, I want to say it's written by Comrade Black, but I'm not sure if I'm misremembering um, your, your name. Um, Conrad, yeah, Joseph Conrad. Joseph Conrad, there we go. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I completely see why you wanted to look into 
the context of these novels and I think that is really important and actually this was the only novel you picked that I had never heard well only book you picked that I had never heard of so I obviously went away and did my own research and it does sound very interesting and I read somewhere that it's considered the first modern African novel which I just think is so fascinating it's actually amazing because what's what's amazing when you read it um um it's I think it might sound dense it's not fibrous or dense or anything it's actually an amazing it feels like a folk story when you read it but what's amazing is when you read it you think for example that tribe they murdered they kill twins when twins are born and they go and bury them and then the, the white Christians are like you mustn't do that and so when you read it you sort of think oh no they shouldn't kill twins but then you also think well don't interfere so it's a really interesting battle as a reader that you have but then there's obviously the understanding that you just know that you shouldn't interfere in other people's. Why would you go into a tribe in Africa and tell them how to live? Like, it's a very strange. And what makes you think you have the right? So there was a, for me, it really made me think, and I was in France at the time and I was looking at um, Britain in a different way. And uh, and even now, like today, I don't know if you're watching the news, like um, Prince Will and Kate Middleton, they're in Jamaica. and. The Jamaicans want to be free of British rule, and it's like, of course they do. <laughs> it's like, what yeah. are we doing there? It's a really fascinating part of our history that we're just not taught. We're really not taught. No, we this. aren't taught it either. I did history up to A level, so for readers not ed- for listeners not educated in the UK, that's up to eighteen. And I was a real history student, and it wasn't until I was seventeen that I even learned anything that wasn't that was kind of remotely critical of uh of the the empire system uh a lot lot of what you learn when you're much younger is it doesn't necessarily celebrate it in in the sense they're not like oh we're so great it's more that oh England you know went away and conquered all these places there's no real recognition of the damage that we caused and I to be fair to to my my schools this was a long time ago now we're talking early 2000s so I'm sure it has changed now and I know that there is kind of a move to change the curriculum in history and in English to incorporate much more um relevant literature yeah. but I do I do agree with you why why are they in Jamaica but people in your like people your age people my age like we're, we're still walking around ignorant do you know what I mean so I it did it just changed yeah, I think um, there's an accountability there that we need to be. I mean, I'm a couple of years younger than Prince Will and Kate Middleton, so it's like, do they even know? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to think they don't know, but at the same time, if we accept that royals aren't supposed to have an opinion on things, even if they don't want to go, they don't really have a choice. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think that's probably why uh, um Meghan Markle, you know, wanted to be her own woman, so she left. But we, we are yeah. getting off on a massive segue here. Sorry. So Sorry. if you're interested <laughs> in, in educating yourself about post, post-colonial type matters, then obviously Phoebe, <laughs> both Phoebe's, Phoebe Squared, re- both recommend this book. So moving on to your third book, the best book that you received as a gift. This is an amazing book, and I completely agree with you. But first, tell us which book and who gave it to you. Yeah, so this is funny. This is the song of Achilles by Madeleine Miller. So I was giving this a long time ago, I think. When did it come out? Um, oh, it's been out a while now because she's had a few books since then. And I have to say, I love everything she writes. Me too. So, and, it's, and it's a resurgence. It had a resurgence on, on book talk, apparently. Um, 
but Song of Achilles, I think it was given to me when I was teaching it uh, in Brighton. So that was 2016 or something. So, it, and it came out before that. So, um, so she, it was given to me by a co-teacher because I am really stubborn, Phoebe, about- Well, as, as being a fellow Phoebe, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I am very stubborn about um, historical fiction, ancient historical fiction. I'm like, leave it to the ancients. If you want to read it, if you want to read mythology, read Ovid, which is really- Oh no, you would hate I know, me. I now realise, I'm fully aware of how stupid that was. It was completely stupid. So um, I, was, I was like, well, read Mary Beard, you know. I love Mary Beard, who doesn't? But um, so when this was given to me, I was like, oh, for God's sake. Uh, she's a great friend of mine. Her, her friend's Becky, Becky Miller, she's a teacher, um, fellow teacher. And she, I was like, well, why have you given me this? She was like, just try it, just try it. And oh my God, Phoebe, as I'm sure you know, I'm going to say like, it just, I just fell into it. I like wrapped me up in glorious Homeric joy, like it was so good and so beautiful and so accurate. And I thought, how does she know? How does Matt? And of course, she's a classicist. She's a classics teacher. And um, I just felt so confident falling into her hands. And I just think she's an incredible writer. And it opened my eyes a bit to historical fiction set in ancient times. I loved Circe as well. Uh, I haven't read The Little Galatea yet. Yes, but I, I love Circe. I love it. Was, was yeah. my favorite. I, I absolutely agree I love everything that Madeline Miller writes and I'm a big fan of like you say this niche that's developed at the moment of um, classics kind of reimagined and yes. obviously the, some specific characters because we just don't know about them you have to take some license but they're all set in like historical events and I think they're great I recently read um, The Wolf Den by Elodie Harper I think it's Elodie Harper and that was yeah. another one that I mean, I'm not classist, so I don't know, but it, it seemed like she'd researched it. Yes, and it's set in, uh, so that's a historical one, isn't it? Because that's yeah. in Pompeii. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's, um, I think Natalie Haynes as well, she's a classist. She's, I haven't read Just Thousand Ships, but I know that that was really celebrated. And I think I'm really happy as well, because it means that people have access to, as you can see in Madden, there's a, a fair amount of talking about mythology. So it's wonderful that, I mean, I could never do that because I have to write things that I know, but I, I think it's amazing that, you know, people have access to this kind of old forgotten stuff that I think a lot of people think classics is old men with beards in rooms, you know what I mean? But it's really not. So I'm so happy that that's accessible now to everybody. And I, I really think Madeleine Miller started it. So yeah, I agree with you. It, it, it's about making it accessible. If you don't think you can pick up and read the Iliad, the Song of Achilles or The Wolf Den is a much more accessible way to, to spark an interest in classics. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, and I think it's much... We can do a lot for sparking younger people's interest in history. I remember when me and my brother were younger, we had Horrible Histories, now a TV show, back in those oh, days, was, was a, yeah. a, like a comic, and we used to get the comic, and you could read like all about you know, gross things that the ancients did. And that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I used to use horrible histories even in the classroom. There was a great rap that Boudicca did. Uh, it was great. <laughs> I love horrible histories. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am I still watch it now sometimes. If I'm very hungover or feeling sorry for myself, I'm like, what could I watch? It's interesting, but not doesn't strain my brain too much. But yeah, they're all very, very good. 
So moving on to your fourth book, a book by your favorite author. Now, this book has actually come up multiple times and I've never read it and I've never seen the very famous film. Um, so oh, read maybe it before you can persuade me. Pardon? Yeah, definitely read it before you see the film. If this is uh, The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro, who is a Japanese-British writer. And, um, oh my goodness, I just, it's amazing. First of all, I'm really drawn to his writing. He wrote Never Let Me Go, which was another really great film. And he wrote Clara and the Sun, which was my favorite book last year. And I think many people's favorite book last year. Mm. Um, and he manages to write very simply, suppose I'm sure he works enormously on those sentences, but very simple sentences and just absolutely devastating. I don't know how he does it, but everything he writes is just devastating. So The Remains of the Day is my favorite one. It's about a butler who is the head of a household in, mm, I'd say early to mid 1930s. And yeah, I think that's about right, yeah. Yeah, and there in the movie it's Anthony Hopkins and, um, and there's a sort of housekeeper that comes in and it's about his life and he is narrated by him. And what's very clever about it is that he's not an entirely reliable narrator. Um, so you sort of, you sort of, as you're reading it, you think, oh, this man is quite peculiar because he's very into his job. He's very obsessed with his job. Um, and he can't sort of see entirely the people around him. He can't relate to them in the way that he, he should. And he wants to do his best. And also what's happening in the household is it's, you know, a British Lord and they're gathering people and they're deciding about um, the second world war. They're deciding, really sort of devastating things about the Second World War, like what they're going to do with support Hitler or not, or, um, and they talk about the Holocaust a little bit, uh, you know, what would they do with the Jews? And so it's, um, uh, so it might be later than the 1930s. Anyway, uh, beg your pardon if that's incorrect, but it's, it's um, and then it also follows him later on in his life when this Lord has been, something's happened to the Lord and whatever, but he's still in the house and he needs to recruit. So I won't spoil it, but it's just, it doesn't, that's, even that premise sounds a bit strange. I'm sure it does, but it is absolutely incredible. And, and it's about humanity. It's about love and peace and quietness and, and also self-denial and, um, you know, you know, traditional love stories when they yeah. do express themselves. What happens when you don't express yourself? And it is just, just and and the remains of the day what it means is what when you've lived your life and then what, what you have at the end of it say you're retired or something and it's like what what do you have with the remains of your day and I just Phoebe I've never wept as much as I've wept at the end of that novel like it's it's not I I, yeah I'd heard of the novel and obviously I've heard of the yeah. author because he's uh, a Nobel Prize winner and mega famous yeah. and I sat down um a while back to watch the film and my mum was like don't bother it's really boring so I've oh, never no! seen the film. I know I know hey listen but, it might be boring to you I don't know it's just for me I just it speaks to me yeah, and many other people, so, mm, yeah. But someone else who chose a book by this author and I think they also chose the same book was saying that a lot of his books kind of operate in an internal monologue so they're exactly. actually quite hard yeah, to transpose over onto a film yeah that's true that's true that that is true but I, but it, they are I mean the, the films that have been made of his books have been really successful so um as I said Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson and um 
Never Let Me Go was had Keira Knightley and Kerry Mulligan. It was really, I thought it was beautiful. But it might be because I've read the book, so I don't know. But um, I just, I don't know how he does it, Phoebe, but I just think he's an extraordinary writer. And he's also, I've, I've listened to him in interviews and things like that, and he's, he's an internal person as well, I think, as far as I can tell. And, uh, Do you know what, based on the interviews I've seen and heard with him, I would agree with that. Yeah. And he's, um, cause he, cause he also just out of interest, which I find it fascinating because I love to know how people come to writing. He did uh, a master's in creative writing. Um, where oh, I've heard that as well. I think it was in, in uh, East Anglia, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought it was as well. Yeah, because I think a lot of people assume that you can just write and you don't need to learn. And I'm always like, surely we need to learn. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I think I'm actually torn on that question because I think the fact that people write in a diary or just write because they want to with no intention of doing anything with it or or showing anyone that I understand but then I think in any other job you would you would expect people to have studied it so why is that any different to saying be being a professional writer or being a novelist or whatever yeah. so it's difficult because like teaching I, I, tra I trained I've done a master's in education so it's like to be a teacher and I think but then also you can argue every time you read a book Phoebe like you're learning how to write so I don't know there is a lot of yeah and I was having this conversation the other day I find so my day job is law so what when I write in my day job what I write has to be essentially factually correct because there will be the facts of what's happened or there will be the law which is essentially a fact because that is what it is so I find when I'm writing it's hard for me to kind of develop a bit more imaginatively because I'm sat there thinking I normally have something to comp I normally have what I write and then I compare it to the truth to see and I don't have that with fiction and I find it very hard yeah how interesting I think also with fiction have you, have you read any Kazuo Shiguro I have yes I have and yeah. he is, I mean his work is beautiful there, there is no doubting that I think there's it, but what he, it's what he doesn't say you know how we're clever that's what yeah that's he's saying. very good at show don't tell but, because readers were, readers are cleverer than, than we think. So if you say something, then we fill in the gaps. And he's really good at that, I think. And another person who writes very simply is Raymond Carver. He's an American short, he only wrote short stories. Um, he, he's dead now, actually. I think he, I think he killed himself, sadly. Um, but he writes really devastating short stories and very simple sentences, Raymond Carver. And he... Um, yeah, I wish I wish I could write more like that, but but I just can't. But I think when you talk about law, that's what went into my head, the difference between that and fiction. Because I, I imagine that you have to write very concisely and tightly. Yeah, a lot of the time it depends what you're writing, but yeah, there's not a lot of space for kind of fluffy, yeah. fluffy additional words, shall we say. No. How fascinating. Yeah, so moving on to your final book, the book with your favourite character in. Please tell us which book, why, and why it's your favorite character, and and also who is your favorite character? Yeah, so this is like mega cheese. I, I love it. So this is Far from the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy, um, which I was forced to read when I was like a teenage, young teenager, and didn't understand it. Thought it was weird, but then as an adult, you sort of yeah. And um, it's actually Thomas Hardy was a feminist. Well. I'm not really allowed to say that. He wasn't like, he didn't say he was a feminist, but he did support um, the suffragette movement. 
And it's about Bathsheba Everdeen, who's a wonderful, uh, is she wonderful? She's a troubled protagonist. Um, I've actually never read this book, so I could not say either way. So I have to take your word for it. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So yeah, so um, again, lots of movies and TV shows made of it, but um, she has to, she has three different men really, and she sort of works her way through them. Um, and that's apparently the writer of The Hunger Games used her surname, Everdeen, for Katniss. Ah, she's interesting. Yeah, she admired Bastard so much. But my, she's not my favourite. My favourite character is Gabriel Oak, who is the first man she meets. And I won't spoil it if you haven't read it. Um, and he is just, I, I can't help it, Phoebe. I just, I, every time I read it, I like throw the book on, the, on, you know, against the wall. It's so romantic. It's like, and I'm not. I can oh, so she picks it. the wrong guy. Well, no, I'm not going to. No, no, I mean, I, yeah. Well, it's she's frustrating. It's I won't spoil it for you. But it is okay. a romance novel. And it's, um. But it, and it, and he wrote it hilariously. He wrote not what's well, not hilarious, but he wrote it in a, it as a serial in newspapers. So it's episodic. So it's quite easy to read. Um, the beginning maybe is a bit dense because it talks a bit about you know sheep and fields and trees. But then it's episodic. Right, there's a bit of Christmas, a bit of Easter, and and so it's constantly, in my opinion, exciting to read. But but Gabe, but Gabriel Oak is this kind of whenever people say who's your like literary man who do you wish you were married to I'm like Gabriel Oak like no question I just think he's 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 what is he he is calm he is loyal he absolutely adores her he's beautiful he's very close to the earth he's very close to God and uh he waits and it's um he's a patient man and I I just think he's a dream and every time they've made a, a series of it that character has just been the actor has always just been gorgeous and <laughs> it's like yeah, that's that. So I love Far From the Madding Crowd because I just, I think, I think romance is really hard to write and really hard to read. And really yes, I read. agree. I think it's very hard to write well. Yeah. I mean, I've never tried it. Um, but I just think Thomas Hardy sitting, I visited, I love to visit um, writers' homes. I've been to Thomas Hardy's home. And in I the didn't even know you could visit his home. How interesting. Yeah, it's a National Trust property in Dorset. Yeah. And, uh, I've stood in the room where apparently he sat and wrote it. And it's just so funny to think of this young man writing this really romantic novel. Um, and I just think Gabriel Oak is just gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have kind of sold it to me. It is, like you said, it's a super, super famous book. There are countless adaptions of it. So maybe I do need to sit yeah. down and watch one. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the latest one with Kerry Mulligan was quite sweet. Interesting. Carrie Mulligan, yeah. who I think is also in the Emmeline Pankhurst suffragette film. So. She is, actually. That's the third time because she's also in Never Let Me Go. So she's like a recurring feature. Well, may maybe you're just a, a massive Carrie Mulligan fan. That's what it is. Yeah, without realising it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, Do you have a, a crush on any literary characters? I'd love to know. Uh, do I have a crush on any literary characters? I'm not sure, actually. I think. I kind of I probably go the other way in the sense I know literary characters who I really don't like but I'm just trying to think oh. if, I, if I've ever read a book and thought yes um that's funny who do you not like uh well just just the very obvious ones like um I was talking about this on another episode of the podcast I really don't like Heathcliff oh yeah no okay, really any character that. in Wuthering Heights why they're all mean and nasty and why it's funny Just, as well yeah. not my, not my cup of tea 
because um, I was like I really wanted to read the book for ages because everyone always says how good it is and yeah. I, I was like oh maybe I'll watch the film first so I sat down to watch the film and there's like I mean this is kind of a spoiler but it's an old book so not really there is it's essentially an abusive relationship and then some puppies get drowned and I'm like I don't need this I totally I totally agree because um I love um I love Jane Eyre and I have I do have a crush on Mr Rochester but he's actually awful and it's funny when you really look at it and you look at what kind of hero he's a Byronic hero and and uh there's an amazing book if you have the chance um it's really dense but it's called Mad Women in the Attic and it's written by two scholars two, two women scholars and it sort of goes through Georgian literature that kind of literature Victorian literature later going through women even Jane Austen and talking about how all these ideas are kind of a bit wonky how like for example in every Jane Austen all the women have to suffer before they get what they want and it's always a bit servile and you sort of reading you're like no <laughs> um but yeah. exactly what you're saying like um how Heathcliff is actually dreadful and like everybody in there is just mean <laughs> Yeah, so mean. Actually, I've had, now I've thought about it, the character, well, literary is maybe a bit of an overstatement, but his name is Thomas, uh, his name is Bruno, and he's from a book that my friend Grace lent me, so shout out to Grace if you're listening. It's, the book is called The Food of Love by Anthony Capella, and it came out, I want to say in the early 2000s, something like that, and it's about a American girl whose name escapes me I think it's Laura or Lauren um, and she travels to Rome and she wants to kind of live there and experience living in Italy as young girls do and she meets uh Tommaso who is a waiter and he has a best friend called Bruno who's a brilliant chef and Bruno is is the man for me oh that's lovely I mean I don't want to spoil the book but yeah it, it's great and there's some really good descriptions of food in there and which is why my friend recommended it to me in the first place but yeah I'd probably say that'd be my that'd be my crush if I had one but yeah but yeah it's a bit of a modern book not really li- literary I'm trying to think if there's a literary character that I I think I like I mean, just, but maybe, I mean sorry, sorry. Oh, maybe I don't have a crush on them but I do really like Mr Bennett because I feel like if I was Mr Bennett I'd be exactly as dismissive of Mrs Bennett as, as he oh, is oh yeah he's so great I love yeah. Mr Bennett like his sassy side eye Oh yeah, he's so funny, isn't he? His lines. It's funny. Anytime they've made a TV or a TV series or a film of it, they've literally just lifted his lines. They haven't even changed them. They just they just don't need to. They're just so brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so of the five books you've chosen, do you or which one is your number one number one favorite? Um, what a great question. As in, like, if I could only keep one, yeah. I think it would. It would be Remains of the Day. That might sound really depressing, but it's like... Um, no, if, that, if that's your favourite, and I think it's... Yeah. yeah. I, I have to say, though, Phoebe, I was going to say Far From Money Crowd, but I do, personally, as a as a, as a a human that is interested in, that digests stories and, and creates stories, I am more drawn to the tragic rather than the joyful. <laughs> I wish it, I I, it was. Yeah, I mean, I was going to point that out. It's not a happy book, but... Yeah, exactly. It's not a happy book, but it is just so beautiful. And I think if I was on a desert island stuck with it, I'd be able to study his writing um, harder and be able to really look at it. Um, I think it's I think it's very rich. It's a very beautiful book. So that's my answer. (laughs) 
And that is a great answer. So thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest. I could listen to you talk for ages on these books. What are you, uh, and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, what are you currently working on? What should we look out uh, from you that's coming next? Madam is in the world. And then uh, my second novel, The Ruins, comes out in July. And that's about a a young girl um, on holiday with her parents and her parents' friends in France by the sea. And it's, again, it's quite dark. It's a coming of age story, but slightly nightmarish. It's a summer she won't forget. And there's a double, there's a dual timeline uh, where um, there's, she's there with other girls as well. um, And the, one of them returns, you don't know which one returns to the house 25 years later because something terrible happened that summer. So that's, that comes out, that's the ruins, that's in July. And then right now I'm working on my third one. I'm writing it and I, I, I can't tell you anything about it, but that's what I'm doing. I'm in a writing phase. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it out, seeing it out there, seeing it on the shelves and hopefully it can join Madam in being a book, bookstagram, you know, runaway success. Thank you so much, Phoebe. I'll let you get back to enjoying your, what I'm guessing is delicious French coffee and pastries in the sun. <laughs> nice, yeah. Not quite, but almost, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Vivi, very much for having me.